Well, howdy y'all. Welcome to episode number 23 of Once Upon a Time in Texas. I am your host and producer, Michael Mitchell. For those of y'all that follow the podcast and listen to me, thank you for sitting on the back porch with me and listening to me tell uh, a few stories and a little bit of history about what I find. I have a lot of fun doing this and I have a lot of fun, uh, you know, along the way too. I love this stuff, and I hope you guys are enjoying it as well. So I went to Medicine Park, Oklahoma last weekend with my family. This is a great place to visit, right outside a lot in Oklahoma, and it's right at the main gates of the Wichita Mountains Wildlife Refuge. So we went up, uh, my aunt and my father, their birthdays are a couple of days apart, you know, a couple of days and a couple of years, obviously, but... Um, she was June 8th, he's June 10th. And so they usually try to get together, um, during their birthday, either the weekend before or after. And unfortunately this year we weren't able to do it, um, right around that time. So we did it a little later and it was a fantastic day. So on the way up there, I just kind of happened across a sign that said, you know, native Oklahoma. And there's a lot of advertising and stuff about, you know, native, native Americans being in Oklahoma and it's native Oklahoma. So I saw this sign and, you know, I've also seen some of the uh, Native American powwows and dancing on TikTok lately, um, which is kind of interesting. My daughter is also the new lodge chief for our local Boy Scouts of America Order the Arrow Lodge. And for those of y'all that don't know, the OA is, is, uh, it's, it's called the OA for short. But it's a society of honored campers within the Boy Scouts, and the the themes of the organization are are all kind of centered around um, Native American themes. Now, there's some argument uh, here lately whether, um, you know, whether or not this is just really longtime cultural appropriation. um, But, you know, I'm not here to argue about that. I mean, I I like the OA. I like its purpose. And, you know, it's, it's just interesting. And, and a lot of the idea was to learn more about Native American cultures, you know, while you're doing this thing within the Boy Scouts. So I don't know what's going to happen uh, to the OA in the long run. Um, there's some talk about changing it or whatever. But I will tell you that my interest in the history, uh, especially Native American history, was uh, spurred on by the... OA Lodge dance team that did our closing campfire at Camp Will Rogers in Cleveland, Oklahoma when I was six years old. I just thought it was so cool. They did some, uh, they came out in their regalia, their drum. Um, They did some Native American dances and said, you know, when you get older and you become a Boy Scout, um, you too can join the Order of the Arrow and be a part of what we do. And I just remember at the ripe old age of six years old that that was just fascinated you're that just fascinated me sorry and uh man i wanted to be a boy scout from that day forward and so and here i am uh whatever it is uh gosh 38 years later and i'm still registered with the boy scouts i am an eagle scout and i love it and so yeah my daughter is the uh second female lodge chief um for our local oa lodge which is kind of a big thing so all of that (laughs) sorry that was kind of a little long but all of that got me thinking about native american tribes in texas history texas is and has been home to a very diverse group of native american tribes each with their own history and cultural traditions all that kind of stuff but 
Did you know there are actually only three federally recognized tribes residing in Texas today? Yeah, only three. Um, and I'll get to the three official tribes, but first let's go through some of the other tribes that are well-known and historically speaking, spent a lot of time in Texas. Although most of them are based out of Oklahoma now, let's go ahead and go through a few of these. Before I jump into this too much, I do want to mention our sponsor. That's me, an American mortgage company. I know there are tons of people moving to and in Texas. And I know a lot of you guys do too. So let me help them out. I'm an independent mortgage loan originator working with American Mortgage Company. We help people finance their dream homes right here in the great state of Texas. I am licensed. I can do loans anywhere in the state. So I am well aware that getting a mortgage is not always fun and not something that most folks want to do. But, you know, unless you got a big old chunk of cash sitting around in a safe, then uh, you probably need to get a mortgage. If you do have a big old chunk of cash sitting around in a safe, uh, send me your address. I may come visit you late at night when you're not home. And uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that. But yeah, if you do have that kind of chunk of cash sitting in a safe, shame on you. That is not where you want it. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, so if you need a mortgage and you want to work with somebody who uh, works hard to make that process painless and is maybe a little entertaining, you know, give me a call. So if you know someone moving to or in Texas, send them over to me at themichaelmitchell.com. That is T-H-E, michaelmitchell.com. And let me help them out. Remember, when you work with me, I sell dreams, not mortgages. So there you go. That's the plug. All right. Let's get into this podcast and learn you a little something. Keep in mind that entire books have been written about some of these tribes. Hell, even entire novels have been written about, you know, some of these. So there is absolutely no way that I could, you know, cover each of their histories in depth um, or all of them. There's a lot of these tribes uh, that have been through Texas that I'm, I'm not going to cover. I don't have that kind of time. So, But my hope is that you'll find this a little interesting and then go and do a little research on your own. So hang on to your hats because here we go. So one of the most well-known tribes in the United States is the Comanches. So they're well-known for their superb horsemanship and warfare skills, the Comanche were a nomadic people who migrated across the Great Plains in search of uh, bison herds for hunting, which my parents and I, you know, my family and I, I guess, we, uh, we raised bison outside of Wichita Falls, a little town called Henrietta. So uh, <clears throat> anyway, so the Comanche tribe had a complex social structure and were able to maintain their way of life for centuries. One of the best and most enlightening books... I've ever read about this tribe is Empire of the Summer Moon. It, it really was a fantastic book and was very eye-opening as to their abilities. So how far they traveled and their way of life, I mean, my gosh, somebody, I mean, if you had a Comanche tribe in, say, you know, present-day Oklahoma City, they would ride horses down as far south as, like, San Antonio and raid and be gone before anybody even knew where they were. <clears throat> so it, you know, it's kind of a big deal. I mean, these guys were masters of the plains. And then, you know, they could ride back to their uh, their home base, I guess, 
and then they would be off and raiding up in northern Kansas or Nebraska, uh, you know, a couple of days later. It's just incredible how quickly they traveled. But anyway, that was a great book, Empire of the Summer Moon. Uh, I highly recommend you guys read this. Um, the Comanche Nation's main headquarters are today located about nine miles north of Lawton, Oklahoma. It's actually right where you turn off to go to Medicine Park in the Wichita Mountains, you know, which I talked about a little bit earlier. So if you get the you know, get the idea to go check out Medicine Park and, you know, the, uh, the Wichita Mountains, you know, you might stop and check out the Comanche Nation headquarters. It's kind of cool. So another tribe commonly associated with Texas is the Caddo tribe. So the Caddo were agriculturalists who lived in permanent villages, so they were not nomadic. And uh, <clears throat> they were mostly along the Red River Valley. Um, they were known for uh, their pottery, their agriculture, uh, and trade with neighboring tribes. The Caddo Tribe Society was organized into matriarchal clans, and they had intricate religious and cultural practices, which is kind of neat. I read about some of those. However, their population declined, as a lot of tribes did, due to European diseases during the 18th and 19th centuries. <clears throat> the, the Caddo Confederacy, I guess is what they're, they, they were called, was a network of indigenous peoples of the southwestern woodlands who historically inhabited much of what is now northeast Texas, western Louisiana, and southwestern Arkansas, as well as southeastern Oklahoma. So prior to European contact, they were the Caddoan Mississippi culture, which again, there's some other great books about that. I've read a few. Um, and they constructed huge earthwork mounds at several sites in the territory, um, between about 800 and 1400. Uh, in the early 19th century, Caddo people were forced, you know, to a reservation in Texas. And in 1859, they were removed to Indian Territory. So today, the Caddo Nation headquarters is in Binger, Oklahoma. So there you go. Um, the Apache tribe was another tribe that roamed Texas. Of course, people have heard a lot about Comanches and Apaches. Um, the Apaches were known for their fierce resistance to Spanish and Mexican colonization in the region. Um, they were nomadic, and they moved between the plains and the mountains, depending on the season. Um, they were extremely skilled hunters and warriors and maintained their independence um, um, until, you know, the United States and a big extended uh, period of war and, you know, manifest destiny, all that kind of stuff. Um most of the different Apache tribes are headquartered in Arizona today, and they've got, I don't know, five or six, maybe seven different ones. Um, but they're mostly in Arizona, but they roamed Texas a lot, I guess, back in the day. So here's another one that a lot of folks don't know about, the Karankawa tribe. And they inhabited the Gulf Coast region of Texas. Um, they were known for their fishing skills. And they would build their homes on the beach to be close to the sea. They were also known for their distinctive appearance as they were the Native American tribes that really used a lot of tattooing and paint to adorn their bodies. So, yeah, um, I saw some pictures and holy smokes, they were a, a different looking group for sure. Unfortunately, I mean, again, with most Native American tribes, their population was 
decimated by European diseases. Um, today, the Karankawa people are considered extinct. However, as of 2021, there is a group of individuals who claim um, to be descendants of the Karankawa people. <clears throat> and they formed a group called the Karankawa, I believe it's Kadla or Kadla. Um, they have volunteered to help preserve Corpus Christi Bay archaeological sites, you know, from oil development and develop education programs uh, and are interested in reviving the Karankawa language. So this organization today is unrecognized. And so they are neither federally recognized tribe nor a state recognized tribe. Um, so, but I mean, they're, they're doing a good job. They're trying very hard to kind of, you know, bring, bring that little piece of history back, which is kind of cool. And so I also read some stuff about the Karankawa having some uh, interaction with uh, Jean Lafitte, which was the pirate, um, you know, that resided in Texas most of the time. And so anyway, yeah, if you get a chance, look them up because there is some interesting history there. Uh, next one, the Kiowa tribe was originally from the Great Plains of Kansas, but they migrated to Texas in the early 19th century. They were skilled horsemen, feared warriors, um, who often fought with other tribes as well as the United States Army. They were also known for their craftsmanship, particularly in beadwork. Um, so today they are federally recognized. Uh, they are recognized as the Kiowa Indian tribe of Oklahoma with headquarters in Carnegie, Oklahoma. As of 2011, there were about 12,000 members in their tribe and the Kiowa language um, which is called something specific. I can see it right here. I have no idea how to say it, so I'm not even going to be disrespectful and dry. Um, <clears throat> so it's part of what they call the Tanoan language family, and it is in danger of extinction with only 20 members speaking that language as of 2012. I think I saw some stuff recently that they were trying to bring that back, and so that's, that's very cool. So, uh, next are the Tonkawa. The Tonkawa tribe was one of the smaller tribes um, living in the region between the Brazos River and the Colorado River. Um, they were considered a peaceful tribe. They were also skilled hunters and gatherers. And, and so it's kind of interesting as I'm reading through these. Some of these were known really as warrior tribes and horsemen tribes. Other ones were, you know, very much known to be hunters uh, or fishers. Um, this is a group of hunters and gatherers. <clears throat> so the Tonkawa tribe, they were known for the intricate beadwork and pottery skills. And so again, you know, in the Southwest, you know, you got the pottery and the clay pots and stuff like that, but you also had beadwork from training, um, trading, sorry. The tribe seems to have a lot more to do with Texas than others. And so I'm going to spend a few more minutes on it. So scholars once thought that the Tonkawa originated in central Texas, which I thought was interesting. However, they found some recent research um, that showed that the tribe actually inhabited northwestern Oklahoma in 1601. By 1700, Apache and Wichita enemies had pushed the Tonkawa south of the Red River, which forms the border between current-day Oklahoma and Texas, <clears throat> in case you didn't know that, um, which I only live about 20 miles from the Red River, and the Boy Scout camp that I frequent often is literally in the Red River Valley. So we can walk to the Red River and often did when we were kids. So 
In the 16th century, so the 1500s, the Tonkawa tribe, they think, had about 1,900 people in it. So it wasn't a big tribe. Um, Their numbers diminished to around 1,600 by the late 1600s um, due to fatalities and also, you know, new infectious diseases and conflict with other tribes, most notably the Apache. Apparently they didn't like each other. So the tribe continued their southern migration to Texas and even down into northern Mexico where they allied with the Lipan Apache. So in 1824, the Tonkawa entered into a treaty with Stephen F. Austin um, to protect the Anglo-American immigrants against the Comanche. So basically they, you know, they were mercenaries, I guess. Um, At that time, Austin was an agent recruiting immigrants to settle in the Mexican state of Coahuila y Texas. In 1840, the Battle of Plum Creek, and again in the 1858, uh, at the Battle of Little Rogue Creek, the Tonkawa fought alongside the Texas Rangers against the Comanche. So by the 1740s, some Tonkawa were involved with the uh, Yohannes, and others who settled in the San Gabriel missions of Texas along the San Gabriel River. In 1758, the Tonkawa, along with the allied uh, Bideas, Caddos, Wichita, Comanches, and the Hiohuanas, went to attack the Lipan Apache in the vicinity of Mission Santa Cruz de San Saba, which they absolutely destroyed. Um, The tribe continued their southern migration into Texas and northern Mexico, where they allied with the uh, Lipan Apache. So in 1824, the Tonkawa tribe entered into a treaty with Stephen F. Austin um, to protect them again. Oops. So, sorry, that got goofed up. So yeah, 1824, sorry. Huh. Word got messed up. Anyway, so we already talked about the treaty with Stephen F. Austin. They fought with the Apaches and against the Comanches, and then they allied with them. Anyway, they were back and forth. So the Tonkawa often visited the capital city of Austin during the days of the Republic of Texas and during early statehood. In 1859, the United States escorted the Tonkawa and a number of other Texas Indian tribes to a new home at the Wichita Agency in Indian Territory and placed them under the protection of nearby Fort Cobb. When the American Civil War started, the troops at the fort received orders to march to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, leaving the Indians at the Wichita Agency unprotected. So, in response to years of animosity, um, you know, in part regarding rumors that the Tonkawas engaged in cannibalism, um, a number of the pro-Union tribes, including Delawares, Wichita's, uh, Penateka, Comanches, they attacked the Tonkawas <clears throat> as they tried to escape. Uh, the fight, known as the Tonkawa Massacre, killed nearly half of the remaining Tonkawas, leaving them with just right around 100 people in their tribe. Um, the tribe returned to Fort Griffin, Texas, where they remained for the rest of the Civil War. In 1884, October of 1884, the U.S. removed them again um, to the new Oakland Agency in northern Indian Territory, which is now Oklahoma, where they remain to this day. 
Um, this journey involved going to Cisco, Texas, where they boarded a railroad, uh, a train, um, that took them to Stroud, you know, Indian Territory then, but now Oklahoma, um, where they spent the winter at the Sack and Fox Agency. The Tonkawas traveled another 100 miles to the Ponca Agency and arrived at nearby Fort Oakland in, uh, on June 30th, 1885. So on October 21st, 1891, the tribe signed an agreement with the Cherokee Commission to accept individual allotments of land, which is kind of a big thing back then. By 1921, only 34 tribal members remained. Um, Their numbers have since recovered to close to 700 in the early 21st century. And the Tonkawa Tribe of Oklahoma incorporated under the Oklahoma Indian Welfare Act in 1938. So... They're still around, they're still up there, and uh, the town of Tonkawa, Oklahoma, I guess, is obviously named after the tribe. Uh, Next, we have the, uh, I guess, Humano tribe, J-U-M-A-N-O. I'm probably saying that wrong, but I think that's Humano. They were originally from the New Mexico area. They moved south to West Texas in the 16th century. The Humanos were primarily farmers and traders, so again, there's another kind of different group. Uh, Their society was organized around a council of elders. They were known for their peaceful nature and their efforts at establishing trade relationships. So again, this wasn't a warrior tribe. This was a a peaceful, you know, trading tribe. Um, So they were known again, like I said, for their peaceful nature, their efforts in establishing trade relationships with the Spanish and French explorers. Um, European American scholars have long considered the Humano Uh, tribe extinct as far as a people go in the 21st century some families in texas have identified as apache humano um as of 2013 um they had uh, registered 300 members in the united states and seek to be recognized as a tribe Uh, they have a tribal chieftain gabriel carrasco um said he believed there could be another 3,000 people who would qualify uh, there is a website about the Humano heritage um, and rebuilding their heritage and culture. And they are based in Little Elm, Texas, near Denton. So, um, anyway, the, Ritz, uh, the Wichita tribe is another tribe that lived in the region of present-day Texas. They were farmers who lived in semi-permanent villages along the Red River. They were traditional enemies of the Comanche with whom they fought frequent wars. Today, descendants of the Wichita tribe still live in Kansas and Oklahoma. Today, they are called the Wichita and Affiliated Tribes and have headquarters in Anadarko, Oklahoma. Another thing of note is uh, that my hometown, well, not my hometown, but where I live now, Wichita Falls, was named after the Wichita tribe that lived in the area and uh, the low water river falls that existed on the Wichita River until 1886 when a flood washed them out. We replaced the falls in the 1980s, and uh, fun fact, we can turn our falls on and off during inclement weather and flooding and stuff like that, so probably the only uh, waterfalls, big waterfalls, um, that you can turn on and off in the United States, probably the world, I don't know. So, um, but we also have a, a statue here called the Wichita Um, which leads to another legend on how Wichita Falls got its name. Um, This life-sized sculpture features a Comanche family 
crossing the Wichita River, and I didn't realize it was Comanche. The actual legend of the crossing defines where Wichita got its name. Um, so it's a it's a multi-part piece. Uh, it's a Comanche woman, her child, two braves, their horses and a colt, um, set kind of in the rock and near the flowing water and in the flowing water. And uh, the woman is testing the river's depth, and as legend tells and describes it as waist deep, which is how Weechita, W-E-E-C-H-I-T-A-H, is translated. Who knows? I, I like both ways, I guess. So, uh, yeah. Uh, next, we'll jump to the Cherokee tribe. And uh, it's also represented in Texas, uh, part of the Trail of Tears. Um Oops, sorry, I just lost my place. There we go. Uh, it was uh, The Cherokee tribe was forcibly removed from their ancestral lands in Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, and relocated to present-day Oklahoma. However, some Cherokee individuals had migrated to Texas and uh, stayed there. And so today their headquarters is in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. There's tons of stuff you can read about the Cherokee tribe, and again... I can't get into all of it, but uh, I'll just say they've got a pretty fascinating history. And that's also where a lot of the Trail of Tears stuff comes from. And most folks that believe that they are Native American uh, or have Native American heritage, um, Cherokee is like the number one that people think that they're related to. And they even mention that something you know on their website about, hey, it takes us a while because we have to sift through a bunch of stuff. So lastly, we have the uh, Kickapoo tribe, and the Kickapoos are found on the border region between Texas and Mexico. They were originally from the Great Lakes region, but later migrated westwards. Um, They are known for agricultural practices, particularly with their method of corn cultivation. Today, their headquarters is in McLeod, Oklahoma. Again, this is another big tribe, um, or I don't know about big tribe, but they, they have a lot of history. So now, kind of what you've been waiting for. So there are actually three federally recognized tribes right here in Texas um, still today. And they are the Alabama Cushata tribe, originally from Tennessee and Alabama area. The Kickapoo traditional tribe, originally from the Great Lakes region of the U.S., like we just talked about. And finally, the Yaleta del Sur Pueblo, originally from New Mexico. So I'm going to give y'all just a a quick brief history of each one, and then we're going to wrap this bad boy up. So the Alabama Cushata Reservation was established in 1854 when the state bought uh, 1,110.7 acres of land for the Alabama Indian Reservation. So there were about 500 tribe members that settled on the land during the winter of 1854-55, and in 1855, the Texas legislature appropriated funds to purchase 640 acres for the Cushatas, um, but they never followed through. So the Cushata began to live with the Alabama on the reservation, so they kind of merged. So they required more land, so, or I'm sorry, they didn't require, they acquired more land. And so today the reservation is just under 4,600 acres. Um, it's located 17 miles east of Livingston, Texas in the big thicket area. And Livingston is kind of about halfway between Lufkin and Houston. Um, that kind of gives you an idea. 
<clears throat> I'm going to do a little more research on them later um, just to kind of see. I don't know if they have, I mean, I'm sure they've got some sort of tribal center or something there. Uh, might be kind of cool to go check out someday. So next we've got the Kickapoo Traditional Tribe of Texas. Uh, their reservation is located near Eagle Pass, which is a kind of south, southeast of Del Rio, Texas. It's right on the Rio Grande, on the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, it has a land area of only 120 acres. So about 960 tribal members are living on the Eagle Pass Reservation uh, and tribal lands um, you know, in that area. So 960 tribal members on 120 acres. That's quite a bit. But they do have some tribal lands in uh, Nacimiento, Mexico, um, and their tribe often holds their ceremonies and stuff over there. Uh, tribal members must be at least one-fourth Kickapoo. So they've got uh, what they call the blood quantum um, thing, which is also another interesting thing. You can do some tests and see what your blood quantum level for Native American stuff is. <clears throat> so you must be at least one-quarter Kickapoo. So the Kickapoo traditional tribe of Texas members are related ethnically to the Fox, Sock, and Shawnee tribes. Uh, many tribal members do speak English, Spanish, and the Kickapoo language still. And the Kickapoo language is a, is a Fox language, uh, partially and kind of partially Algonquin, um, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and then one thing I found, and I need to look this up and YouTube it, they also use Kickapoo whistled speech. And I don't know what that is. So I'm probably going to YouTube it and figure that out at some point. So the last one we're going to talk about is the uh, Yoleta del Sur Pueblo, or just the Pueblo, as they call it. It's a uh, federally recognized Native American tribe and sovereign nation. And so I don't know what that means necessarily, but I've seen a lot of that sovereign nation. Um, I believe that just means they're able to govern, you know, kind of their own people and have their own police force, stuff like that. The uh, tribal community is known as uh, Tihua. Um, and so it established the Yoleta del Sur in, eight, in, I'm sorry, 1682. So this has been here a long time. <clears throat> After leaving the homelands of the Quarai Pueblo due to drought, the Tihuas um, sought refuge at uh, Yoleta Pueblo and were later captured by the Spanish during the 1680 Pueblo Revolt, and they were forced to walk south over 400 miles. So this is all in New Mexico happening. So anyway, um, the Tijua settled and built the Yoleta del Sur Pueblo, and I forget what time, but soon after, the Asaqua, or canal system, um, that sustained a thriving agricultural-based community. So they built a canal system. Um, their early economic and farming efforts helped pave the way for the region's development. And by the region, I mean El Paso area. So tribal enrollment currently is about 4,000 people with their headquarters being just right on the outskirts of El Paso. They are noted as being part of the reason El Paso's there. And so, yeah, so that's interesting. So they had, they were part of the big 1680 Pueblo revolt in New Mexico and ended up over in, in Texas, way back in the day. <laughs> so there you go. So what do y'all think? 
Um, that's 11 tribes, only 11 tribes. Um, there are a whole lot more, I'm sure, that are associated with Texas. And then three additional that are federally recognized and headquartered here in Texas. So, you know, I don't know. Shoot me a message. Let me know what, what you think. If I missed any tribes where you were like, geez, Mike, come on. You should have mentioned the whatever. Maybe I'll do a little research on it. I'll include it in a future podcast. Let me know. I mean, I'm I'm not perfect. I'm not a professional historian. I'm just finding things that interest me and shoot it out there. So, yeah. If you guys like what you're hearing, then, uh, then let me know. If you think I missed something, let me know. So, there you go. Uh, I would like to thank our sponsors again. That's me and American Mortgage Company. Keep in mind, if you know someone moving to or in Texas, send them my way at themichaelmitchell.com. That's T-H-E, michaelmitchell.com. And remember, I sell dreams, not mortgages. I love helping people get into homes of their own. Thank you all for tuning into my podcast uh, again this week. Um, one big thing, we just surpassed 1,000 downloads. It took us forever to get to the point where we surpassed 1,000 downloads. And then last week, um, we're at almost 1,200. So podcast is growing. And I just want to thank you all. Share it with your friends. Let them know, you know, this chunky bearded guy does a, uh, a podcast about Texas and just random crap. So there you go. Thank you all for tuning in. Share it with everybody you know. As always, remember, the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Y'all have a great week. <laughs>